This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello, and welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks, everyone, for taking the time to join us on today. And a special welcome, as always, to those joining us for the first time. Welcome to the show. We are going to continue our current series where we've been talking about the sinister culture in today's UX circles. And somebody may have come in partway through. They're wondering, why would we talk about things like this? Can you give me a little bit of insight? Well, basically, one of the things I constantly say is that UX is about more than just the work. We could just do the work. And if we do the work and we ignore or not are not aware of the types of things that I tend to talk about, in a lot of my episodes, then they are not attended to. They end up, if, if there's a problem and it's not being addressed and people are not aware, that problem basically operates unchecked, which means that all of the consequences, all of the detrimental impact associated with the thing that's being called out, it basically just pretty much just has its way. Nobody does anything about it. Nobody stops anything. We're brighter than this. (laughs) Really? I mean, right? We're we're brighter than this. You have to be smart to be a UX person. UX is not, I I, I constantly say, there's a little saying I have, I bring up from time to time, and I'll say, and this will sort of get us into the the, uh, swing of things today too, with what I'm about to mention. I frequently say that when you're doing UX, you're not flipping burgers. And now, what do I mean by that? Flipping burgers, I'm making reference to people who work in fast food. Now, the neurotic people will say, why are you putting those those people down? Well, we're not putting anybody down. We're citing facts. And that's, that's pretty much where I'm going with what I'm about to say. If you're doing UX work, a fact should never bother you. You should never be offended by a fact. You should never have the hair on the back of your neck, so to speak, stand up because you hear a fact, whether it's about someone else, about you or something else, it doesn't matter what it is. This discipline requires that we humble ourselves, if you will, to facts. I mean, if if you don't believe that, don't do UX research. Don't claim, don't tell me that you want to be a UX researcher because that's what UX researchers are doing. They're going out and trying to find facts that will help steer the business. We're trying to make data-informed decisions. We're trying to validate the direction of the things we're going. So when you're doing UX research, it's all about the facts. But as is directly related to today's sinister culture of UX, There are a lot of people who are in UX circles who are fact averse. And it's especially if that fact calls them out on the carpet. They don't want anything to do with that. I mean, did I do something? Did I come out of the, I remember one day I went to work with Mitch Matt shoes on and somebody mentioned, Hey, Darren, do you have on Mitch Matt shoes? I had to own it. We laughed about it. I put a post on social media, took a picture with my Mitch Matt shoes and we got a big kick out of it, and I had to work the rest of it. I wasn't going back home just to change shoes. 
<laughs> and our our office was right outside of a mall. I guess I could have gone and bought some shoes, but it wasn't that bad. And it didn't really. A lot of people had no idea I had on mismatched shoes. And I, I told them if I had not told them that I had on mismatched shoes, they never would have known. But we had a big kick out of it. We had fun with it. But I owned it, and and that it still pops up on Facebook to this day. Whenever the the anniversary, if you will of me wearing the mismatched shoes comes up that that picture will come up and I'll share it again and, and talk to some people about it. And we get another laugh about it. And this is a great example because it's nothing too serious, but we have to own it. If you have a nail in your tire, you own it. If you have spinach in your teeth, you own it. If, if there's something that you've done and you made a mistake, you own it, just own it and move on. But we are a fact driven group of people, the people who are dedicated to this work. And I have to say it that way because there's the cult of UX and then there's pure UX. I had somebody even uh, uh, attack me on social media and refer to me as a UX purist as if that's bad. <laughs> that's, that, that's the sinister culture of UX today. People, they want the, 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 the moniker, they want the title of UX they don't really want to do what UX is, and they want to turn it into something that it's not, and then they want to demonize everybody who's talking about doing it the right way. If that happened in any other discipline, that discipline would crumble. It would completely crumble, and that's why I do what I do on this show. That's why I talk about the things I talk about when I'm mentoring people, when I'm teaching people. That's why I focus on things like that. That's why I talk about the things I talk about, because we do have this this cult of UX, where people, they say they want to do UX, and they say they're doing UX, they're not doing anything even remotely related to UX, and it's destroying the discipline. We are coming apart at the seams because of it. So back to the initial question. We're talking about, we're bringing up these traits associated with today's sinister culture of UX, because when you're in rough waters, you need to know how to manage your ship. If you don't know how to manage your ship when you're in inclement weather, so to speak, then that inclement weather will pretty much have its way with you. So, but if you know, hey, we need to drop the anchor or hey, we need to drop some weight off the ship, whatever, whatever it is that's going on, whatever you need to do, you need to take the appropriate measures so that you and everybody else who's traveling with you can all reach the destination safely. We don't want anybody to have any issues. Again, a bunch of metaphors, but those of you who listen to me, you know I'm I'm big on metaphors. So I hope you understand that today. So we're we're calling out a bunch of things that are going on in UX. They shouldn't be going on. They pretty much are they have free course. <laughs> these things are happening and 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 a lot of people actually welcome them. And I think there was another example that came up earlier. I, I, I may bring it up again later, maybe not. But the point is that if you don't know these things, if, you, if you're if you not aware, then it's going to have its way with you. And, and this is the, some of these things I'm bringing up. We're talking about the traits. And sometimes I talk about the impact. I mean, uh, people talk about all the layoffs that took place. The layoffs are partly connected to a lot of the things that I'm talking about. We're going to be talk we're talking about it from several different angles. So there are a lot of different things. Knowing them helps to put you at ease. 
it doesn't necessarily, I mean, I'm not here to make anybody feel good. I'm not, that's not my job. And, and all that feel good stuff is usually rooted and grounded in toxic positivity. We're definitely not a, not a part of that camp. Uh, and so we're, we're not, someone, someone asked me a question. I, I, I just have to mention it here because I think it's, it's relevant. Someone was asking me, they said, are you a, 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 a day person or night? Which are you day or night? Which ones, which one comes to mind for you? And I said, it doesn't matter. I'm neither. And, and the thought sort of came up, you know, why is that? And I'm thinking, well, what needs to be done? If you, if you, it doesn't matter whether you're, some people will say, well, I'm a morning person. Well, that's fine. If you're a morning person and you acknowledge that, that's great. Well, some of us, it, I really, I really don't care. It's what needs to be done. And, and when I was in this conversation, I, I mentioned that the reason that I responded that way about a few of the things that came up during the conversation is because I'm a disciplined individual. So I'm trying to figure out what needs to be done in that moment. My personal preference really doesn't mean anything if something needs to be done. And, and so this discipline mindset, this is sort of a reverse element that you don't see in today's sinister culture of UX, which is another sign of the sinister culture of UX. There are a lot of work-averse people that are in UX today. They don't want to do the work. Again, they want the job. They want the moniker. But they don't want to do what UX is really related to. And because of that, some of us suffer the consequences of that because somebody that you don't even know did something, conveyed or misrepresented the value proposition of UX to a leader in their organization. And then that person, that leader connected to a leader in another company and that leader connected to a leader in another company. And then they all went to a conference and they cross pollinated and they went out to lunch and they had a discussion about UX all based on this bad representation of UX that somebody presented to them. And then they went back to their companies and they began to deal with their UX people based on the misperception from the other person who failed to be a proper steward of the discipline. You are a representative. You are an ambassador. I don't care who you are. You are an ambassador of the discipline. And so when people fail to represent us properly, it has the potential to have very far-reaching consequences today. So again, I'm not telling you these things to make you feel good. I'm telling you these things so you can navigate them and so you can have some explanations for some of the things that you see. Sometimes, again, it doesn't make us feel better in general, but to have an understanding of why some things are happening, it does still empower you. And, and if you don't feel better when you're empowered, uh, then, you know, that, that's another topic for another time. Uh, these types of things are critical. We do need to know what we're up against. We do need to know how to manage, especially today. And UX is still a baby. It still needs its diaper change, as I constantly say, from time to time. And and so it, it's it's important that we, that we have the proper mindsets. And I'm going to revisit one thing I was saying earlier because I don't think I finished explaining it. When I talk about being a burger flipper, and again, I'm referring to the people in the, the fast food industry, you can walk in. I did it. Other people did it. You can walk in off the street, totally unprepared, 
don't know how to do a single solitary thing, interview for a job at a fast food establishment, get hired on the spot, and in a week or two, here you are flipping burgers or, as they said, coming to America, you know, one day you're on lettuce and then you're going to be on fries. And, and it's that whole type of a world where you're talking about what we refer to, the technical phrase is unskilled labor. UX is not a land of unskilled labor. This is a science. It takes a lot of, of knowledge to really excel in the discipline. People try to get us to think that it can, you can learn everything about UX in six months. You barely scratch the surface in six months, let alone trying to excel. And then these same people get infected by these resources with Dunning-Krugeritis, as we call it, because they, they see themselves as being more than what they really are. And then when you try to tell them, those people who have the Dunning-Krugeritis, who think of themselves too much, they, they, they see themselves as being something that they're not, and they're giving themselves too much credit, and you try to let them know, hey, you know what? You're actually missing it here, here, and here. Here are some things you need to do. They get upset because on top of having the Dunning-Kruger situation, they lack emotional intelligence. And so it just it, it, we just go in vicious circles after that. It's important because some of us and, and several people have been contacting me and, and thanking me for covering this topic because it doesn't get covered. And, and you run into it on a regular basis. And when you run into it on a regular basis and you don't have answers, that is when we have a problem because you don't have answers because you're going to run into this stuff doing UX. You're going to run into the wayward client. You're going to run into the wayward stakeholder. You're going to run into the, the power hungry developer. You're going to run into the product owner who wants to, who wants to take over the UX from you. you you're going to run into that. The, these things happen and people don't want to tell you this stuff is going to happen. It's going to happen. If it hasn't happened to you yet, Hang in there a little longer and do things the right way. Because the people who are doing faux UX, the cult of UX, are not running into these problems. So they don't listen to this podcast either. Or if they do, they turn it off. Uh, someone came to the UX Chit Chat Hour once and I began to share some very raw facts. And these people got scared and ran over to their own table and they just stayed over there and didn't come back. You know, then fine. That's fine. The problem is... You're going to run into smack dab face first into what I said, and you won't have answers. And then you're going to come back looking for help. And you better hope we're available because that's just the way it goes. This is not the land of cotton candy. UX is not the land of roses and, and, and soft classical music playing in the background. This is a rough arena that calls for thick skin and it calls for people to build your acumen, to, to always be committed to ongoing education, to always be in a position where your EQ is, is growing, you're improving, you're getting stronger, you're getting better, you're learning, not focusing on Figma. Knowing Figma doesn't make you a UX designer. There's, a, there's over, somebody finally counted the things on my illustration of the four pillars of UX. And they said there's over 250 items. Well, so when you say that, when you say UX, you said 250 things. 
whether you realize it or not, which is another reason why people can't say UX slash UI. That's 250 slash one. That that that's really ridiculous. But folks, we we need to. I, I'm here to help. We need to be more sober minded. We need to be more grounded. We need to be more. We need to have thicker skin, so that when we hear something that might not be tickling or pleasing to the ear, we still got to take it. I I had a post recently where I was talking about the whole UX UI thing and. I did this thing where we take Bart Simpson. It looked like he was writing on the board and he was saying, I will stop saying UX UI. And, and over last I saw, there were over 42,000 impressions of that post that it really got a lot of traction. And some people who see it, they get upset. And, and, and when they get upset, I'm like, get upset for what? But that's the sinister culture of UX that people will hear something, it doesn't tickle their ear, they don't bother trying to process it, they don't ask an educated question about it, because some people, that's all they've ever heard. So when they hear there's no such thing as, as UX, UI, they always try to skate around it instead of, you know, why why do you say that? And Which I'm not going to explain anymore because I've already explained it like 10,000 times. So they don't realize that. I mean, we're not going to explain it anymore. It's better if you hear that and you realize that you came up in UX and that's all you ever heard is UX UI. It is really on you to go and try to figure it out. There will be sometimes some instances where we talk about it, but not too much because it just, you just, and some of these people won't, they won't get it until they have to answer a question 10,000 times. You eventually reach a limit. And you're pretty much done <laughs> trying to explain something that really, if somebody will sit and, and exercise any amount of critical thinking, you realize that it makes no sense. I mean, just think about the slash. Again, one of my upcoming guests talks about the the slash means two things. I, I'm remembering what she said, and I went to Grammarly to look it up just, just for the, from the perspective of presenting something in a way that somebody can go back and find the same information so they realize that you're being authentic in what you're presenting, that, that you're that, that you're saying something from a standpoint of, of validation and, and trustworthiness instead of just an opinion. Because one person said that when I said that, that that was subjective. There's nothing subjective about the fact that UX slash UI is not a thing. Remember I just mentioned that UX... It's really, that's 250, a minimum of 250 methods, methodologies, techniques that that are, that you're, that you're making, and deliverables that you're making reference to. So it's like 250 slash UI, which is one. It's one thing. So there is no, and the slash means or, or it means, it, it, it's an indication of, of relationship. And so there is no point. It makes no sense. If you understand that UI is a part of UX, then why would you say UX, UI, UI, which is basically what you said in a sense? Why would you say something that's not relevant? Why would you say something on the line of, of a Swiss bank account slash credit union? 
Why would you say that? It, it doesn't make sense because the Swiss bank account is always way bigger and way more prestigious. So what's the purpose of adding a slash and mentioning the credit union? Why would you say car slash skis? It makes no sense. But but so people are not really, they're not really exercising any critical thinking. And then a lot of these same people call themselves giving tips. They call themselves shedding light. They call themselves being thought leaders. And you can't do any of those things if you're spreading misinformation. So just, just some interesting tidbits, and none of these are related to the things that I was going to be presenting on the list today. Um, well, one of them is, is in a sense. So why don't we, while we get into the list, and we'll have an abbreviate, uh, abbreviated attempt to get into the list today. Uh, but this Dunning-Krugeritis thing, and this is number 13 on my list. There are people, and for those of you who are unaware of what Dunning-Kruger is, it is basically a, it's a, some people refer to it as a bias. Some people refer to it as a psychological state. But Dunning-Kruger is something that when we, when we mention it, you're going to recognize it, many people. Uh, but it's really, it's a sad thing. According to Psychology Today, it's called, technically it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And psychology today uh, talks about it from the perspective of bias. And they mention that it's a cognitive bias, which means that it's a bias that impacts the way that people think and processes and process information. I can get it out right. <laughs> the way people think, the way they process information uh, in a certain way is reflective of this. Now, here, here's the whole thing. It's a cognitive bias in which people with limited competence, you get that today? Think like the thing we talked about that Alan Cooper said last week, people who are lightweights, that's what he was making reference to. He used the term lightweight, but he's talking about people who are limited in their competence. They don't really have any skill. They don't really have any experience. They don't really have any knowledge. They don't have any stability. People with limited competence in a particular domain, let's say, UX, overestimate their abilities. So Dunning-Krugeritis is about people. You can hear how I was paraphrasing it earlier now. It has to do with people who put themselves in a position and come from an angle that really isn't earned. They don't have any substantiation. In my PhD work, and people don't realize this, when you're talking to PhDs, you know what ties all PhDs together? We spend a ton of time identifying what is trustworthy and what is reliable. And we do not present things that are not trustworthy and are not reliable. As a doctoral candidate, and I've been doing this for years, you don't present anything unless it's trustworthy or reliable. When somebody operates from a Dunning-Kruger perspective, they couldn't care less if something is trustworthy or reliable. They're in the, in the process or they're in the business of overestimating, hyperbolizing who and what they are, and they just ride with it. And so you have all of these people with the trying to have a voice in UX when they don't even have any knowledge. Why are you trying to be a voice if, if you don't even know what you're presenting? And these are a lot of the, the same people. They're part of the number 14 on my list, the put yourself out there mentality. 
because they're told, what do I need to do to get to, to, to grow in UX? And then somebody who shouldn't have been given advice in the first place says, oh, just put yourself out there. That person has Dunning-Kruger. Then they tell somebody else something that they shouldn't. Now that person has Dunning-Kruger. And then, and then that person goes to a conference and tells 500 people to do the same thing. Now 500 people, uh, this example, walk it out. Now they've got Dunning-Kruger. And this is the problem. This is a major problem in today's sinister culture of UX that you have all these unqualified people presenting themselves as qualified, but they're nothing more than neophytes. And then other people who are neophytes and they know they're neophytes. And then somebody tries to build them up and give them a false sense of comfort, a false sense of security and make them feel like there's something that they're not. And then tell them to fake it to their make it. So they acknowledge that they're fake. Just keep going till you get there. No concern about the damage that they leave in their path. No concern about how, how disrespectful it is to give someone misinformation. None of those things. So this is pretty sad, but this is where we are today. And, and this brings to mind number 12 on the list. A lot of these people, and I've interacted with a lot of them, they'll go through something like the, the Google UX program. They graduate, quote unquote, graduate, because that got to take that with a grain of salt. And then they come out and they say that they're certified. There's a group of people today who think that they're certified when they're not, which is also a Dunning-Kruger-like mindset. So a lot of these things today tie into <laughs> tie into Dunning-Kruger. It's really sad. It's hurtful. Uh, these people, when they get in front of leaders and clients, when they get in front of stakeholders and they fake it till you make it, some people, a lot of those people, especially when you get across very detail or to people like, say, a business analyst or a QA person, they're very detail oriented. They are analyzing everything that you say. They realize that what these people say is garbage, this flat out garbage, and, and they treat it as such. And then they'll have a conversation and they're they're not known for being... On average, these people are not known for, nor is it their job in general, to be transparent. So they're going to have conversations with other people, legitimate conversations, about the misrepresentation that they were subjected to. They don't know it's misrepresentation. All they know is that the UX person did X, Y, and Z. They walk away, and they've got this jaded view of the value that UX brings, and the rest is history. And in here, now we've got another hostile situation that could have been avoided had people not been faking it till you make it, had people not been operating from a Dunning-Kruger perspective, and, and these things. I mean, some of you out there under the sound of my voice, you've experienced it, you know it. I've come in contact with a lot of these people, and one of the funny things about them, and I don't, this is, I believe this on the list, I'm not sure if we already covered this, I don't think we did, but this whole concept of this character assassination thing, which is, which is extremely popular in UX today, when you combine Dunning-Kruger, a Dunning-Kruger effect mindset, with an inferiority complex, that usually turns into toxicity. And so you end up with a toxic work environment because of that. And those kind of people, they are not happy about expertise. They're not happy when they do come across somebody that does know what they're talking about. And now the whole environment is, is off kilter. It, it, it's very, it's terrible. Uh, I experience it a lot. I know a lot of other people who experience it. I know people who are relatively new to user experience 
who, but they're learning the right way. And when they present right things, they get met with a lot of opposition, not because what they said is incorrect, not because what they said is going to be detrimental to anyone. They're just upset because either they didn't come up with it or they're embarrassed because now they see that they were wrong about something and they're worried about who else sees them as wrong about something. And none of those things are healthy. We all, again, we all affect one another. And so until we can come together and operate from a strong EQ perspective, at least a growing EQ perspective, because some people, they're just, they want nothing to do with EQ. They're not self-aware. If you try to make them self-aware, they're going to get cognitively and emotionally violent with you. And so these things, they do not make for a nice day on the job. Let's just put it that way. So when you come across these people, going back to the Google thing, uh, these people who think they're certified when they're not, I've told people, you know that you're not really certified when you finish that program, right? And, and some of them will get angry. Some of them will block you. Some of them will fight tooth and nail. Google knows that they're not certified. And Google has not lifted a finger to tell people, to tell their graduates that they are not certified. They won't say anything about it. So they, they are implicit in this problem as well. And companies like that, they're actually contributing to UX's demise <laughs> as well. You know, they it looks like they're they're fighting on behalf of UX. They're not. They're fighting on behalf of making money and making sure that their brand looks good. That's that's pretty much it. So again, number 12, people thinking they're certified when they're not. That's part of the the sinister culture today. We're being overwhelmed with Dunning-Krugeritis, number 13. Number 14, the put-yourself-out-there mentality. You don't need to put yourself out there. We're not missing anything. If all you're doing is spreading misinformation, what do you think you're contributing? Nothing. We, we're better off if these people say and do nothing. And, and consider the fact, and some of you who are familiar with, with listening to me and you've heard me, say different things. You've heard what I'm about to say. If you're new, you may be hearing what I'm about to say for the first time. There was no misinformation in UX prior to 2011, but it has been a total landslide. There has been a landslide of misinformation in UX since 2011, and much of it is coming from people with this same, the same set of traits, if you will. They Not the certified part, but people with Dunning-Krugeritis, and the people who want to put themselves out there. And then the last one that we're going to cover for today, and we did cover everything today, is number 15 on the list. We have hordes of people who claim, who who carry the title that they are seniors. They are not. You cannot be a senior if you've only been doing the work for a year, two, three. You're not a senior. I don't care what, what title your job gives you. You are not a senior until you've been doing this work for at least eight to 10 years, at least eight to 10 years. Did you hear that today? At least eight to 10 years. So we have hordes of false seniors. And, and on top of the fact that these people have titles that tells the community that there's somebody that they're not. So they're basically imposters. But these same people are the ones running around endorsing things. And so they say that this thing over here is safe. This thing is good chime into this when in fact it's not, it's dangerous. And it's not until somebody like me finds out about something. Somebody like me hears about something. And I, I give feedback to people all the time. Hey, Darren, did you see this post? What about this? And I said, Hey, well, they bring up some good points. Someone did a post recently about 
UX maturity. I'll give you an, an, an example. Forget about the uh, beating around the bush. Just give you an actual example. A person was talking about a post on Medium about UX maturity. And they were talking about, it sounded like the person was touting the importance of UX maturity. And in general, they were. For the most part, however, they were really just saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. Because the information they shared about UX maturity was full of misleading information. It omitted some critical information about UX maturity. So I, I called that out. And yeah, it was great that they mentioned some aspects of UX maturity that some people don't know about, but that's where they were putting themselves really indirectly putting themselves on a pedestal. And, and I cited that from my doctoral perspective. If I was reviewing that paper as an academic, say, you need to go back and, and edit this because you missed some really key points. How could you talk about heuristics and leave out Abby Covert's model? How could you talk about Nielsen without calling out the fact that their new updated model of UX maturity is actually, it's actually not very good. It, 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 it takes the same information that was presented in the mid nineties and it, it now includes examples that are supposed to help you understand the relevance of each of the points, the 10 points that he presents. And the examples are terrible. You could tell, I don't know if they were written by an intern or what, but you couldn't possibly have even run this. You didn't run this by Jacob Nielsen. It, it's pretty obvious to me. And this is not me being mean or anything like that, which is where the neurotic people tend to go and the, the trolls, that's where they tend to go. It's flawed. It's flawed. Would you want to produce flawed work? The answer is no. Are you good at seeing flawed work? I hope so. Because if you can't and if you don't, you're going to fail to bring value to your organization, to your users, and you're going to misrepresent UX. That UX maturity model lacks. And, and not only that, but it was always outdated. That, that model was written initially in 1990, if my memory serves me correctly, and then it was modified and it hit the masses in about 95 or so, 94, 95, but all of these things happened before the advent of the internet. So it's basically outdated. Does that come up? I, I didn't see it. If it's there, I didn't see it, but that's something that needs to be front and center Anytime you're talking about heuristic models, and I know, did I say heuristics earlier? Or did I say UX maturity? If I did, I apologize for that. But the the Norman, the the I'm sorry, not the Norman, but the Jacob Nielsen heuristic model came out at a time that the internet was not a mainstream thing, and everybody wasn't on the internet, nor was it ever revised to take the internet into consideration. And it should have been, it wasn't. And that's fine. Is it still useful? Yes. At any rate, and I don't want to get into a bunch of details because I'll, I'll, I'll go on and on about, about this article. The thing about the article, the bottom line thing about it that I had a major concern with was that it said that after the person presented the this formula for how you can use it to calculate and decide which one of the heuristic models you want to use, that that mindset is not correct. 
You don't use one. You can, but I don't recommend it. That's not my expert recommendation. Learn as many heuristic models as you can, and then you can actually mix and match. You don't have to use one. Just keep it coming. So, so these are the types of things that when people are just it have baby bird syndrome and just embracing everything that comes to mind and, and thinking that everything is great just because they're talking about UX, that is far from the truth. That is not where we are in UX today. And if you're going to thrive in UX today, you need to have that critical thinking hat on. You need to be more academic in your thinking where you're questioning things and you're trying to confirm whether or not something is reliable, whether or not something is trustworthy, and, and, and not looking at it with an overly scrutinous mindset and not a cynical mindset, but just an inquisitive mindset, which happens to be another key trait that's associated with being a sound and, and, and excelling UX practitioner today. We've got to be inquisitive. We always have to be willing to validate and prove things out and then only go in a direction when we see that something is trustworthy and reliable. So, but at any rate, we did get through. <laughs> we did get through our items on today. I am so happy because I thought that I wasn't going to get there after the way I started out. But we're going to wrap up here. We're trying to deal with four or five at a time. There are a couple extras uh, on here that are not on the list in the beginning. But I want to thank you again for taking the time to tune into the world of UX. And we're going to call it a day and we will pick up next time. So until then, it's time to sign off. So this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX. And until next time, happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.